morning. Welcome again to Cornerstone. It's good to have you here. We're right in the middle of the series Rise and Fall, talking about the rise and fall of nations and leaders. And so we're looking through 1st and 2nd Samuel over the next few weeks. So if you have a Bible, you can open to 1st Samuel chapter 13, or you can open up our church app and follow along there. But I mean, have you ever thought, if I could just have this thing, or if this one person would just hear my story and help me, everything's going to be fine. Well, that's, that's where Israel is in this moment. They were saying, give us a king and we won't have any more problems. And they got a king and they still had their problems because God isn't going to allow another person to take his place. And so even though they had King Saul, they still needed God himself to help them. And so today we're going to see in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that their need for a king didn't fix their problems. They're still oppressed by the Philistines even though they had a king. But we will learn that if they put their faith in God instead of a king, everything will change. 1 Samuel 13, verse three, we meet a new character in the story, Saul's son. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost. Then Saul had the trumpet blown and said, Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost. The Philistines assembled with 3,000 chariots and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. The Israelites hid in caves and even crossed the Jordan River. They were quaking with fear. Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come. So Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. Why have you done this? Samuel asked. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people. We see here Saul really just had a lack of faith. He wasn't trusting in God's command. The big command that he broke here was that he was a king. He was not a priest. Those were separate. He wasn't allowed to offer the burnt offering. And we see in this passage, a lack of faith in God will lead to two places, apathy or impatience. It leads to apathy because we don't really believe God is real and he's speaking to us through his word and we're just not going to do anything about it, right? We're not going to act on God's word. No faith in God will more often lead to decisions about our comfort than about God's mission. But lack of faith in God also leads us to impatiently try and make things happen on our own. We can get into a lot of trouble when we do that and that's what happened with Saul Impatience to wait for God's reward will cause us to seek a lesser reward. And Saul does exactly this. Verse 3 says, his son Jonathan attacked the Philistines. Immediately after that successful attack, Saul sends messages out to all of Israel saying, Saul has attacked the Philistines. Let's gather. And he steals his son's credit. Saul wanted glory now instead of when God wanted to give it later. And so he sins and he lies, stealing his son's reward and really ultimately his future reward because he's earning it the wrong way. Jesus spoke to people like this, that there was a group of leaders that 
were nervous about the Pharisees and what they would think about them if these leaders started to believe in Jesus. They're like, we want to believe in Jesus. It seems like he's the Messiah, but they were concerned about the Pharisees. And Jesus said this about them. They loved human praise more than praise from God. And that's a temptation that we have because human praise is something we can actually hear as opposed to God's still soft voice that we, we just feel his presence at times and we hear his words in the scriptures, but we can actually hear when someone compliments us. And so we go after human praise instead of waiting for the praise of God that comes. One day, God isn't, he's not oblivious to the good things that we're doing. He keeps a record, he keeps a journal, he watches our good works for a future reward. And we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, that we should wait until the Lord comes. At that time, we will receive praise from God. And so we need to be patient and wait for the praise that comes from God. Impatient, impatience also causes us to miss out on God's timing, and instead we start compromising to make it happen now. Saul is doing this. It says in verse 8, he waited seven days. So he did a good job waiting seven days. But when Samuel didn't come, he decided, all right, I got to do this. I will offer the priestly offering instead of uh, waiting a little bit more. He waited seven days, but if you just waited seven more minutes, it's like Samuel was just coming over the hill when Saul was done offering the priestly offering. And those last moments of waiting are the most difficult, aren't they? And it can tempt us when we're waiting on God's timing to compromise to make it happen ourselves. And we do this, we do this oftentimes. Maybe we find ourselves in debt and we are trying to use biblical principles of self-control and having a budget and, and just slowly, faithfully paying off our debt. But then all of a sudden we get an idea. We see an advertisement, we realize, well, if I invest in this penny stock, or this meme coin, cryptocurrency, you know, if then it'll, it'll just quadruple instantly and I'll make all the money and I can pay everything off right away. And we have these good intentions, but we're, we're not waiting on God's timing and we lose even more money by being hasty like that. Or maybe you are in a season of singleness and you really desire to be in a romantic relationship and instead of waiting on God's timing, you compromise and you just start dating a bum. And you know he's a bum. You're dating a bum right now. You need to break up with him. No, that's not a prophetic word. May, I mean, maybe. If that's true, smack your friend. No, don't touch them right now. Listen, we're in church. Listen, we need to wait on the Lord's timing instead of making it happen ourselves. Saul was impatient. The one who came after Saul was not impatient. He learned to wait. In fact, there's a, there's a Bible phrase called waiting on the Lord. And it's very interesting that this phrase starts with King David and he uses it 25 times in the Psalms, but Saul and anyone before him does not use this. David learned to wait on the Lord for what God had promised him. Waiting on God, this was a phrase that David started, the prophets and the New Testament writers picked it up, and it's not our natural state of being to wait on the Lord. I wish there was a way to have every kitchen appliance be like a microwave and an air fryer. Why, why would I do anything slower than those things? We want stuff now. Next week, I think we're upgrading our internet at, at the church here, but I was tempted to not upgrade and save even more money as we renegotiated our plan, but everyone's like, please, our internet is terrible. We always want something faster and faster. In the Bible, the prophets would wait on the Lord for, for days 
and weeks at a time. And sometimes we say, okay, Lord, I'm waiting on you. And it can barely last a few minutes. What if we waited just a bit longer for God's timing instead of making it happen in our timing? The confidence we could have we're walking with God. Impatience really makes weak excuses seem brilliant, brilliant in the moment, right? I mean, Saul here has four categories of excuses that we all use. Practical, spiritual, emotional, and even denial, saying it wasn't my fault. Verse 11, he says, well, the men, the men were scattering, Samuel. I had to do something impressive like offer the sacrifice to regather the army. Yeah, that's a practical problem, but you sinned. Or denial, verse 11, you did not come at the, the set time, you know. Samuel, this is really your fault. I deny all blame. This is on you. You could have walked a bit faster, old man. Come on. I mean, there was a war going on. Or spiritual, well, I knew I hadn't sought the Lord yet. I hadn't, I hadn't sought the Lord yet, and so I had to offer. The, he could have prayed instead of doing the priestly role. It sounded so spiritual or emotional. He said, I, I just felt compelled. I was compelled to do this. And so often, our emotions feel 100% right, but we need to realize that emotions come and go. The word of the Lord endures forever. This is the only safe word that we can rely on, not our own emotions, which can lie to us. We use these same excuses. And so Saul here is an example of, of a leader falling because of his impatience, right? And it just leads him to make these bad decisions. His son does something entirely different. His son really is bold in his faith for God. Look at chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by a few. His armor bearer said, go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. And if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay where we are. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves and the men of the outpost shouted, come on up here, we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And they climbed up and the Philistines fell before Jonathan. That first attack Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men. Then panic struck the whole army and those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. And so Saul and all his men finally assemble and they go to battle and they found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. And on that day, the Lord saved Israel. The opposite of not having any faith doesn't have to be having great faith. It's just having a little faith, right? And we see in this passage, a little faith in God will lead to corresponding works, appropriate good works based on the faith that we have that God wants to do something. Throughout the scriptures, we see that it's just a little faith that's needed, Jesus said, faith as small as a mustard seed can do amazing things. And so these good works do a lot of different things. These good works move against injustice that is contrary to God's kingdom. Jonathan, before he said, let's go, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf in verse six, this was a season of oppression for the people of Israel because of the Philistines. Only Jonathan and his father had a sword 
Everyone else was fighting with farm weapons because the Philistines were occupying and they didn't allow any blacksmith to have their trade in Israel. So every one of the Israelites had to go to a Philistine city and they had to have their, you know, plowshares and all that kind of stuff sharpened. And that's what they brought into battle because the Philistines wanted to limit the amount of weapons they had. So Jonathan knew this isn't right. God desires more for his people. He thought, my father's kingdom is experiencing this oppression and I have to do something about it. Many people throughout history have thought the same exact way and recognized my father's kingdom is not being shown in this scenario. This is not an example of God's kingdom on earth. This is unjust. This is wrong. This is too much suffering, and I have to do something about it. There's a book that just came out a month ago. I haven't read it. I just read the preface. So even when you read the first page of a book, you can find something good. So read a book. The book's called 32 Christians Who Changed Their World. And here's what it says. These Christians worked across various cultural spheres as if Christian truth mattered as much there as in any church. They sought to educate because they believed God is truth. They sought to liberate because they knew every person bears God's image and that truth sets us free. They sought to create because in creating we worship the creator. They sought to alleviate suffering because God had originally created the world good. They fought injustice because God is just and wants justice in his world. And they lived as if Christ is king because they knew that he is. And so throughout history, people look at the world and say, something needs to change. We've got examples throughout all history. William Wilberforce, the abolitionist, fought against the slave trade in the British Empire and eventually abolished slavery in the British Empire. Corey Ten Boom was just a watchmaker. Her family made watches. And, and, and she hid Jews during World War II when they would have died if she didn't do that. And she ended up getting caught and going to a concentration camp. She ended up surviving and telling her story of even forgiving Nazi guards. Martin Luther King Jr. was the great American civil rights leader that looked at our country and said, this isn't the land of the free for everybody. Something needs to change. And a name you probably don't know is Harmony Grillo. And she helps people recover from sex trafficking. And she started an amazing nonprofit. And if you go to her website, it's in the, it's in the, the app. The church app has the website link. She writes this. In 2003, I found myself sitting outside of the strip club where I used to work, praying for the women inside. Praying is great, but I knew it was time to do something to help women who might be feeling as trapped and alone as I once did. In fact, in that moment, the vision of treasures, her nonprofit, was birthed. 89% of women in the sex industry want to leave but see no other means for survival. Treasures exist to provide them with a pathway to freedom when they are ready. So her website, I Am A Treasure, helps women and helps people to reach out to those that are feeling stuck. These are people that looked at their world and said, my Father in heaven, this, this area of earth is not representing his kingdom. Something needs to change. And that's really one of the big keys that we're talking about today is that a little faith leads to corresponding works. We will do something if we actually believe. James chapter two makes this clear. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. 
If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. The idea is that if we really do believe, our works will bear witness to that, right? Eventually, we'll make some changes and say, I'm going to take God at his word and follow after him. And so it was just last Sunday, as I was leaving here, we were heading home. We had two families from the church that signed up to come over for lunch. And as I was leaving, I saw somebody walking on Monte Vista, and I recognized him and said, oh, this guy is new to the church. He's been coming here for two weeks, and he told me that he can't find a ride, so he's been walking to church. Good for him. He's been walking to church because he wants to seek the Lord so much. And then I had that thought, well, you should pull over and give him a ride home. He's putting all this effort in. And then the four categories of excuses flooded my mind. And I thought, well, no, I can't. I mean, I'm going to do more ministry. I got to get home and, and finish getting ready for the people that are coming over in just a few minutes. And I wouldn't want to be late. It'll stress my wife out. And, and then these reasons I realized were meaningless, right? I couldn't even say, oh, well, my wife and kids are in the car, so I shouldn't inconvenience them and, and you know, do that. And so finally I realized I'm just feeling lazy and tired and I want to be a hypocrite right now. That'll be a lot more comfortable than acting and doing the right thing. I wanted to just yell at the window, be warm and filled and I hope a car comes, right? Like James chapter two. But the Lord convicted me enough that I, I flipped around in the next driveway and I was like, hey, I'll give you a ride home. Oh, great, thanks so much. And we had a great conversation. It was an encouraging conversation about what God's doing in his life. And when I saw how far he had walked, it was convicting to see how much he was seeking the truth, and it was so good to give him a ride. Last uh, service, somebody heard that story and bumped into that person and uh, is giving them a bike lock so they can drive or ride their bike to here next time. And so it's, it's doing something, not just saying, oh, well, someone else will do it. These good works are much more impactful when we serve on a team together than when we do something ourselves. The armor bearer of Jonathan in, verse, in uh, verse seven, he said, go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. And what an encouragement that would be to Jonathan to take this step of faith and to push forward to attack the Philistines. A task that is so simple that we can do it alone isn't as big as we think it is. It's one thing to put together some furniture. It's another thing to build a bridge. You need a team of people to do that. That's why I was so encouraged yesterday when I saw that there were 100 people that showed up to help Project Touch, a ministry that helps the homeless in our community. And we had people there, you know, um, playing with the 50 kids that were represented in the housing they were provided by giving them bounce houses and carnival games and making food for them, but also transforming the landscape and doing some serious landscaping. And there's one guy that was just ripping out weeds like his life depended on it, putting new mulch down, and it really looks so much better. There's no way one person could have accomplished that. As a team, something amazing and encouraging was accomplished. And so thank you for those that came out for that. Good works should progress forward prayerfully in conjunction with God. Jonathan here knows that the right thing to do is to, to make a change, but maybe that change needed to happen with the whole army and not just him. He didn't know, but he had faith. He had courage. And in verse eight, he said, all right, here's our plan. We're gonna show ourselves. 
If they say this, then we know, okay, God's not with us and we need to get out of here and get back to the army. But if they say this, the Lord's with us and let's do it, even though there's only two of us and a whole outpost of them. And so he tests the waters and finally realizes God is with him. Jonathan had enough courage to take the next step of faith prayerfully, but also enough humility to say, God, are you really with me? Because we can't solve every problem. And so we we will go crazy trying to solve every problem. What is God calling us to do? What injustice is he calling us to fight against? And the good works that we do are going to strike a small blow to an impossibly large enemy. You think, well, then does it even matter? I mean, Jonathan killed 20 people, but the army, remember, 3,000 chariots, soldiers like the sand of the seashore. What did it really matter? Well, God takes the little spark that we light and creates a raging fire in these moments. You see in verse 15, it says, after Jonathan did what only he could do, panic struck the army. And then God did what only God could do. And he really sent like an earthquake. The ground shook and there was confusion. And it says in verse 19, a panic was sent by God himself. And so, yes, impossibly large army, but because someone is taking a step of faith and saying, God, do you want to do something? All of a sudden now, the army is in a panic, and it wasn't just in that outpost. The raiding parties that went out were in a panic. The army that was elsewhere started panicking everywhere, and people were wondering, Saul was watching, saying, what is going on? We do what we can do, and God does what only God can do. And God showed up. Leviticus 26.8 says this, Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase 10,000, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. Jonathan believed this. He believed it. He said in verse 6, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by a few. And so he did his part. Nothing can hinder the Lord. Well, technically, one thing can hinder the Lord, right? If, If faith is what can spark this fire, then unbelief can hinder the Lord, because it just causes us to sit in apathy, right? We just don't, we don't do anything because we don't believe. Jesus encountered people like this in his hometown that looked at him and said, this guy's the Messiah. This is the son of the carpenter. We grew up with him. He sneezed and stubbed his toe like anybody else. There's no way. And Jesus said, in his own words, he said, I could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And so we have to have faith that moves us to action, and God will do something that blows our minds. I want to tell you two odd stories that collided in my life this month. The first one really was odd because I happen to be the only person in the church that doesn't appreciate dogs because my son is allergic to them, and so there will never be a dog in our house. And so it was odd that I looked at this, but it was in a a Wildemar Facebook group. It just popped up. It was a picture of a coyote. And they're like, hey, watch out. If you've got small pets, watch out, you know, be careful. And one part of the paragraph that I read said, a neighbor said someone has been leaving out food. Please don't do that. It only lures them into our neighborhoods and endangers our pets. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I can imagine you feel bad. You want to feed even a coyote. But yeah, I'd be sad if like a person's pet got attacked by that coyote. A few weeks later, I don't know what happened except for this, it just kind of hit me on Instagram in a a good way where uh, an account I don't follow all of a sudden popped up and said, hey, there's there's an emergency happening an hour and a half south of of where I am in Jacumba where there were uh, illegal...